Hello and welcome to this morning's edition of 5 at 8. Today is Saturday, August 12th, 2023. And I'm Mark Overman, joined by my co-host Linda Carlisle. In this episode, we'll talk about the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine, including the dismissal of regional military recruitment center heads, Russia's advances in Kupiansk, and the U.S. imposing new sanctions. We'll also discuss the warning from the president of the U.N.'s desertification conference about disruptions to food supplies before reaching the 1-5C target. Additionally, we'll cover the severe floods in China, Saudi Arabia's request to join the Global Combat Air Program, and the scrutiny faced by Woolworths and Coles in Australia's parliamentary inquiry into economic dynamism. Story number one. In the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has dismissed all the heads of the country's regional military recruitment centers due to corruption allegations. Russia has also gained ground in the northeast town of Kupiansk, leading Ukrainian officials to urge residents to evacuate. On Friday, Russian forces fired hypersonic missiles on western Ukraine, killing an eight-year-old boy. The U.S. has imposed new sanctions on four members of Russia's financial elite, and the European Union has provided Ukraine with artillery rounds to aid in its fight against Russia. Belarus President Alexander Lukashenko has expressed willingness to talk to Poland amid rising border tensions, and there are reports that Moscow may close some or all of its airports due to drone attacks from Kiev. Repairs to the Chonar Bridge, damaged in a Ukrainian strike, will take at least a month. Russian authorities have taken Ukrainian teenagers to a military education camp in Russia, and Ukrainian border guards have stopped men attempting to leave the country to avoid conscription. Ukraine's foreign affairs minister has promised that any Taurus cruise missile supplied to Kiev will only be used within Ukrainian borders. According to The Guardian, these events have unfolded in the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Why, it's heartbreaking to see the devastation caused by the missile attack in Zaporizhia city, leaving one dead and 19 injured. This grim scene underscores the harsh reality of war, where innocent civilians, including children, become collateral damage. It's a stark reminder of the human cost of conflict, and it's happening right now in Ukraine. Yes, Mark, it's deeply troubling. The violence in Ukraine, particularly the missile attacks and destruction in Zaporizhia city and Kupiansk, is causing immense suffering. Beyond the immediate loss of life and property, there's the long-term impact on the mental health of the survivors. The trauma inflicted by such violence can linger for generations. And that's not all, Linda. The corruption allegations amidst this crisis are just as troubling. President Volodymyr Zelensky's recent dismissal of recruitment chiefs accused of taking bribes paints a dark picture of the internal dynamics within conflict zones. It's a blow to the morale of those risking their lives on the front lines, while others are allegedly profiting from this crisis. Corruption within conflict zones can seriously undermine the effectiveness of the military response and the overall morale of the troops and the public. It's a reminder of how even in times of crisis, individuals can exploit the system for personal gain, further complicating the dynamics of war. Speaking of complications, let's talk about the weaponization of technology. Russia's use of Kinzhal hypersonic missiles and continuous drone attacks raises serious concerns about the escalating sophistication of warfare. It's a game-changer, with potentially devastating consequences. The use of advanced weaponry like hypersonic missiles and drones indicates how technology is reshaping the battlefield. But it also underscores the urgency for responsible and ethical use of technology. 
And it's not just about the immediate destruction these weapons can cause, but also the long-term geopolitical implications. The race to develop advanced weaponry can lead to an arms race, creating a global security dilemma. That's an important point, Linda. And we can't ignore the role of international sanctions in this conflict. The U.S. imposing new sanctions on Russia's financial elite and the EU delivering shells to Ukraine. These actions reflect the global community's effort to influence the course of this conflict. But, uh, it's a delicate balance. Sanctions can have unintended consequences, hurting the very people they're meant to protect. Sanctions can have a significant impact, but they can also exacerbate the suffering of the civilian population. It's a complex issue with no easy solutions. The involvement of various national and international bodies, the sanctions, the escalating violence, these all weave a complicated tapestry of war and conflict. And unfortunately, it's the civilians who pay the highest price. Story number two. The president of the UN's desertification conference, Alain Richard Dunwahi, has warned that the world may face disruptions to food supplies before temperatures rise to the one. 5C target, as reported by The Guardian. He stated that the effects of drought are occurring more rapidly than expected, and the combination of climate change, water scarcity, and poor farming practices is threatening global agriculture. Rising temperatures, heat waves, and more intense droughts and floods are endangering food security in many regions. Donwahi called on private sector investors to get involved in finding solutions, and highlighted Africa as a continent with natural resources that can contribute to cutting greenhouse gas emissions and improving food security. He emphasized the need for a partnership between rich countries and Africa to address the climate crisis. This is serious, Linda. The UN's warning about desertification and its impact on our global food supply is a wake-up call, and we can't afford to hit snooze. It's not just an issue of rising temperatures and heat waves. We are talking about more intense droughts, floods, and the degradation of our soil. It's a full-blown crisis. And it's not just about the environment. It's about people's livelihoods. It's about food security. We've seen this before, haven't we? The Dust Bowl in the 1930s in the U.S., the Sahel desertification in the 80s. The human cost is immense. And Alain Richard Donwahi, the president of the U.N.'s desertification conference, made a striking point. He said, Climate change is a pandemic that we need to fight quickly. I couldn't agree more. It's a pandemic and we all need to come together to fight it. Yes, Mark. But it's not just about coming together. We need to rethink our approaches. We need to revise our farming practices. We need to be innovative. Like Don Wahi suggested, the private sector has a crucial role to play here, especially in terms of agroforestry. Right, Linda. But it's not just the private sector. Governments have a role to play, too. They can't just sit on the sidelines. They need to create an environment where sustainable practices are not just encouraged, but rewarded. And that's where partnership comes in, doesn't it? Donwahi mentioned Africa as a continent of solutions. Wealthier nations partnering with African countries could be a significant step forward. After all, we all share the same planet. It's all interconnected. Desertification, biodiversity, climate change. It's not just about one country or one continent. It's about all of us. And it's about time we all realize that. Story number three. Severe floods caused by typhoons in China have resulted in the deaths of over 60 people and the displacement of thousands, as reported by the BBC. The floods have been described as the worst in 140 years, 
with some areas experiencing water levels as high as two adults standing on top of each other. The floods have caused devastation and loss for many families, with individuals being swept away by the strong currents. The government's flood control system has been criticized for failing to adequately protect major cities like Beijing, and there is growing concern about the impact of climate change on the frequency and intensity of these extreme weather events. Can you believe, Linda, what's happening in China right now? The flooding? The devastation? It's just mind-boggling. You've got families torn apart, entire villages swallowed by floodwaters. It's like something out of a disaster movie. It's heartbreaking to hear these stories, like the one about this 10-year-old girl Miao Chunyu being swept away by the flood. This is the real human cost of these disaster events. But, you know, these floods aren't just a result of bad luck or coincidence. There's a bigger picture here. Right, you're talking about climate change, aren't you? We've seen the reports tying these extreme weather events to global warming. But, um, for our listeners who might not be as clued in, can you explain how that connection works? Of course, Mark. So as the world heats up because of the greenhouse gases we're pumping into the atmosphere, it affects weather patterns. Warmer air can hold more moisture, leading to heavier rainfall. And warmer ocean temperatures can fuel stronger typhoons, like the ones that hit China. So climate change doesn't necessarily cause these events, but it does make them more severe. That's a scary thought. And what about this flood control system in China? It seems like a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's protecting major cities like Beijing. But on the other, it's diverting water to surrounding areas, causing more problems there. Is that a fair assessment? I think that's a good way to put it, Mark. These types of measures are often about trade-offs, but it's a stark reminder that our actions have consequences, and sometimes those consequences can be devastating for the most vulnerable. And unfortunately, it's a cycle we're likely to see repeated in other parts of the world as climate change continues to intensify. Story number four. Saudi Arabia has requested to join the UK, Japan, and Italy in their joint effort to build the next generation of fighter jets under the Global Combat Air Program, GCAP, as reported by The Guardian. The move is supported by the British government and could help spread the costs of developing the fighter jet and drones. However, it may create tensions among the partners and is likely to be controversial due to Saudi Arabia's human rights record. Japan has expressed opposition to Saudi Arabia joining the program, while the UK sees Saudi Arabia as a key partner. Talks on Saudi Arabia joining formally are still at an early stage, and any agreement would require the Prime Minister's approval. Saudi Arabia has been trying to reduce its reliance on the US for weaponry, and is aiming to build up its domestic weapons industry. Are you surprised, Linda, that Saudi Arabia is looking to join forces with the UK, Italy, and Japan on this global combat air program, also known as Tempest? It seems like a bold move, but one that could potentially spread the cost of developing these advanced fighter jets and drones. It is indeed an intriguing development, Mark. As we know, Saudi Arabia is one of the world's largest defense spenders. So, financially speaking, their involvement could indeed alleviate the cost burden for the other partners. However, it's not without its complexities. Right, Linda. There's this whole controversy because of Saudi Arabia's human rights record. I mean, the war in Yemen, the Khashoggi incident. It's all very complicated, isn't it? How do you see this playing out? Yes, Mark. This is where the ethical consequences come into play. Collaborating with a country with a questionable human rights record could be seen as a tacit endorsement of their actions. On the other hand, 
From a geopolitical perspective, such collaborations can strengthen diplomatic ties and improve defense capabilities. It's a delicate balance, and one that requires careful thought and consideration. I see, I see. And how about the whole business side of things? I mean, we have major players like Rolls-Royce, BAE Systems, and others involved. What's their take on this? Well, we have to remember that these corporations are also stakeholders in these decisions. They're likely to see the financial benefits of Saudi Arabia's involvement. But they will also need to consider the potential reputational risks of aligning with a country criticized for its human rights record. It's a multifaceted issue, Mark, and one that's sure to spark a lot of debate in the coming months. No doubt about that, Linda. It's certainly a topic to keep an eye on. The implications of this move, both at the domestic and international levels, could be far-reaching. Story number five. Woolworths and Coles, the two largest supermarket chains in Australia, have faced scrutiny at a parliamentary inquiry into economic dynamism, as reported by The Guardian. The inquiry focused on the profits of the supermarkets, with Woolworths claiming that operating margins had dropped over a 10- and 5-year period. However, when looking solely at profits derived from groceries, it is clear that both Woolworths and Coles have seen an increase in margins during the cost-of-living crisis. Economists and investment professionals have cited a lack of competition in Australia as a reason for the supermarket's ability to offset business costs through higher prices, leaving customers paying more for necessities. The supermarkets deny price gouging and attribute their healthy returns to productivity improvements. The inquiry has requested further information on margins from both companies. This news about Woolworths and Coles saying their profits are modest, well, it's a bit eyebrow-raising, isn't it? After all, these two big supermarkets are crucial players in Australia's economic landscape. They've been turning a pretty penny, especially during this inflationary period and cost-of-living crisis. Mark, I hear what you're saying, but we need to remember that businesses, even supermarkets, are in the game to make profits. Now, I agree the timing seems off, but we need to consider the broader context here. For instance, Woolworths owns other businesses as well, right? And they've had to sell off assets like petrol stations and their liquor portfolio, which were all high-margin businesses. Yes, Linda, no argument there. But isn't it a bit suspicious that the operating margins that Woolworths cited were for the entire business and not just the supermarket component? I mean, when you look at the grocery profits alone, both Woolworths and Coles have seen a significant jump during this cost-of-living crisis. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? That's a valid point, Mark. However, let's not forget that these supermarkets insist they're not price gouging and attribute their healthy returns to productivity improvements. And while it's true that food prices have risen, it's a complex issue. Many factors contribute to this, including supply chain disruptions, not just supermarket pricing strategies. True, but Linda, don't you think there's something fishy about the fact that Australia's big two supermarkets, controlling two-thirds of the market, are more profitable than their overseas peers? Look at the UK, France, New Zealand, and Canada, all facing similar inflationary periods. Yet their supermarkets haven't reported the same level of profitability. Why is that? Mark, that's indeed a question worth exploring. And I agree, perhaps it's time for policymakers in Australia to take a closer look at the grocery sector, like their counterparts overseas. Probes into pricing, even threats of price controls or sanctions, might be necessary to ensure fairness for consumers. But we should also be cautious about over-regulating, which can stifle innovation and investment. 
That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.